This is a Woodside Church podcast. Thank you, Tim. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Oh, that was a lovely introduction. Thank you so much. Okay, so I'm going to open in prayer. And then we'll move into what we're going to talk about today. So, Father in heaven, Father, we just worship you this morning. We just worship you. We're going to worship you as we hear what you have to say to us individually, corporately. We thank you, Holy Spirit, that you live in us. I thank you that you give us so much life. And we invite you here to come and touch the hearts of each and every person who's here this morning. Give us a heart for the poor. Your DNA is implanted in us. Give us a heart for the poor, for the marginalised, for the isolated. As we, as we hear the words, I just pray that out of this will come an amazing works. We thank you that we are saved by grace. Let's put that out there straight away. Father, we thank you that it's by your grace that we are saved. But we're also called to do good works. So thank you. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you're here. I thank you that you prompted all these people who came up this morning, that you knew that this was a talk for today. And I just thank you, Father, for that. So, Lord, just come and dwell with us massively this morning. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay. So, probably, I was thinking, there's probably about 50% of you that I know. That means there's 50% of you who haven't got a clue who I am, other than what Tim's just said. So I'm just going to give you a little bit of background so you get to know a little bit about the person who's up here. So I'm married to Gaynor. Gaynor is in the back there with white hair, beautiful woman, my wife. We've been married for 35 years and um, it's been an absolute pleasure to be married to Gaynor. I became a Christian when I was 17 years old. I'm nearly 60 now. So I've been a Christian for over 40 years. I love God. I love God all my life. He's never let me down. He's always been there for me. He is a reliable, righteous, holy God. And that's the God that I follow. When I joined the REF, I was, very, I was a young Christian, struggling away in my Christian faith until I went to Germany, where I joined a, a, a group of seven people. That's all there were. There were seven Christians in a, a base of 3,000 servicemen. And those, three, those seven Christians had a massive impact on my life and really built me the foundations of who I am today. And I'm eternally grateful to those guys, many of which are now in the ministry. After leaving the RAF, I joined the Metropolitan Police, where I served for nearly 26 years. So I've seen life, I kind of know what life's about, but I also know that God has plans and purposes, and that God changes lives in people. That people aren't always what they don't stay what they were made in that regard, but they actually, God changes us by his Holy Spirit, and there's hope for everybody. There was a particular occasion when I was driving around a place called Mitcham in southwest London, and there was an estate there called the Phippsbridge Estate, and it's renowned for poverty for um, drug dealing, for prostitution, and all this sort of stuff. And I went, drove in there one day. Now, I'd driven in there hundreds of times, but on this one day, something happened. I drove in there, and something hit me. Something of the, the situation that people were being born into. The fact that there's a circle that needs to be broken. That poverty needs to be broken. That lives need to be changed. And I knew that Jesus had planted something in there. Now, we're talking about signs, uh, times and seasons that came up. 
Well, my time then wasn't, it wasn't that point that God massively used me. He took Gainer and I into fostering, so we started fostering. That was part of that heart that he implanted on me as I drove into the Fipsbridge estate. But now, the outworking, all these years later, seasons, this is my season, and this is Gainer's season, to love the poor, to love the marginalised, and to love the isolated. So that was a very apt word you brought there. <laughs> so, and also, it's great to hear the testimony your testimony, actually, of how you're now going to make, go in there and make a difference to those who are on the, on the margins, on the, on, you know, who are homeless, and, and life is passing them by, and it's great to have Christians in those positions. So, Gaynor and I work for Project 41, you've heard that. It's working into the community. It's working with all aspects of the community. And uh, but this series that we're doing now is putting God first. And my, my particular subject is my first concern our first concern as Christians. So we've been reflecting on what it means to put our God first in our careers. I can remember Ensign preaching. One of the things he said was at some point in his early Christian life, he had to make a choice between being a doctor and doing all those things and doing what God wants to do. And he said, I said to God, you can have all of me. Can you remember that? You can have all of me. And God gave him all those things that he wanted anyway. It was a beautiful moment. So putting God first in our, in our careers is really important. There was a point in my life when I can say that I didn't put God first in my career, actually. There was actually a time when I said to God, you can have all of me, but you can't have my job. I really enjoy my job. And that held me back, held me back in my Christian walk. I wonder if there's people here today who say, actually, God, you can have all of me, but my job's the most important. You see, God loves us. He cares for us and he gives us the desires of our hearts to, to glorify his name. So it's his will and his name that's the important one. He will make everything fit into place. But the real, when we get a real pleasure in life, it's when we're in his will for our lives and not in our will. So putting God first in our marriages, we've touched on that over the last few weeks. How many of us are putting our wives before our father? How many of us are putting our husbands before our father? You see, God wants us all. He wants all of us. God first. That's what this is about. So if, we got, if our sight is a little bit ski-whiff and maybe people have got in the way of God, let's twist it up and let's put God right back where he should be. You know what? Your marriage, your friendships will all come into their rightful place under the, under the leadership of God when we give him our all. We've heard about money putting our first fruits. Actually, you know what? We're just stewards of God's money. If we look at it like that, then it's not a big deal. We've been told to look after a certain amount of money. It's his money. Let's give to him generously. In the way we serve church, we've got called to put God first in the way we serve church. Are we putting ourselves first? Are we putting God first? Going straight to God when times are tough. Debbie spoke about that recently. God is our refuge and our strength. He is our first port of call. He is reliable. He's the one who sorts the problem out. Why would we come over to here when the person who sorts the thing out is right here with us? Let's make that our first port of call. So the Lord, it says in the Bible, the Lord, love the Lord thy God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. And love your neighbour as yourself. When we have that perspective, 
everything that falls into line. I'm going to tell you some stories today. They're not stories from five years ago, three years ago, two years ago. They're current stories. I'm going to tell you some stories. I'm going to tell you Bob's story to start us off. So around, this is what he's written. Around 2017, I found myself homeless in Milton Keynes. I spent a year sleeping under an underpass and around a church where I felt safer. It was a horrible year and I lost all hope. In early 2018, I was given a housing association flat in Bedford. I attended food bank as I had nothing to eat. And there I connected with Project 41. I started attending the drop-in and signed up to the mentoring service. I started to see what needed to change in my life and what I personally needed to do to facilitate this change. I'd been lonely. I felt trapped in a box. I could see no way out. At times, I felt in despair. My mental health and depression at this time was at its peak. I started to attend Centre 41 and made new friends. I was offered mentoring and this really helped. I now have some good friends. I feel part of a community. I still have issues to work through, but with the friends that I now have and the community that I'm now connected with, I feel safer and now I have hope for the future. So this week we're looking at loving the poor, the marginalised, the isolated as our number one concern our number one concern. See, Bob's story starts, gives us an insight into God's plans for the poor, the marginalised and the isolated. When I was preparing for this preach, there was a scripture that was put on my heart. In actual fact, it was a parable. It was Matthew 13, 44, where it says, the kingdom of God is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again And then in his joy, he went and sold all he had and bought that field. The kingdom of God is where where God reigns as King of kings and Lord of lords. A place where salvation is there for the lost, for the poor, for the lonely, for the marginalised. Where demons flee in Jesus' name. Where there is righteousness, peace and joy form part of the life of the people who know this kingdom. Where we take our place as sons and daughters of the king, doing his will and not ours. Where there is no condemnation and where there is progressive transformation. I love that, progressive transformation. You see, it's a journey. Our life in God is a journey where he sanctifies us, he changes us, he makes us more and more like his son, Jesus. And that is where he wants us to be, doing his will. It's a a foretaste of things to come, heaven on earth, as we come under the lordship of Jesus. And what that parable was talking about was actually this person realised that giving all that he had to buy this field gave him ultimate satisfaction. Giving God all we have gives us ultimate satisfaction. That is what we're here for. And that's what that parable is about. Understanding that being in God's will, giving our hearts to God, is the most important thing. You see, it's not about paying money. The parable wasn't about paying money. It was about giving our hearts completely 
to God, putting our trust in him and making him king of our lives in all that we do and all that we say. It's about loving people at a cost, as a cost to us. Loving the poor being, is part of being a citizen of God's kingdom. We can talk for hours about this kingdom, but one aspect that I want to look at today is about loving our neighbours and specifically loving the poor, the marginalised and the isolated. I want to look at Jesus, king of this kingdom, and how loving those on the fringes worked through in his life. What did he do? What can we learn from Jesus? So I'm going to look at Luke chapter 4, and it says this. So the backstop of this, actually is that Jesus goes into the... He's been baptised by John the Baptist in the Jordan. He goes into the wilderness. He's tempted for 40 days. He comes out having not sinned, and he makes his way back to Nazareth. And when he arrives at Nazareth, he goes into the, you know, to the synagogue there. And this, this story is taken from that point. So Jesus went into, this, into the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he went, as was his custom, and he stood up to read. And the scroll or the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. And unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom to the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, and to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. Then he rolls up the scroll, gives it back to the attendant and sits down. And the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened onto him. And he began by saying to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. All spoke well of him and were amazed at his gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son, they asked. This morning we're going to look at this passage and see what points we can pull out from this account. The first thing I want to pull out is that it was the very start of Jesus' ministry that he proclaimed that he was there to bring good news to the poor. It wasn't an add-on. It wasn't, oh, do you think we should do this? No. Right at the very start of his his ministry, he comes out, he goes to Nazareth, and the first thing he does is he says, I've come to proclaim good news for the poor, to the poor. That's the first thing he does. It's incredible, and I think that is really profound because that's our first calling to love the poor and to be good news to the poor. But point two, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me. That's what the scripture said. The spirit of the Lord is also on us. We have got the Holy Spirit living in us. We have Jesus's DNA implanted in our body by his spirit. When we serve, we need to be serving from a place of being filled with the Holy Spirit. We need to take time back, step back from our business of our, the busyness of our lives. I can remember with Tim preaching on the subject of being filled with the Holy Spirit, and it, it stayed with me. And it's not an empty glass that we top up, we fill up and then drink from it. It's a full glass that, we, that we're drinking from. The little bit that we use, we fill up at that point. That's what being filled with the Holy Spirit is. So we don't get to a point of exhaustion before we drink, before we fill it up. We're filling it up constantly. Meeting with Jesus, how do we do that? It's about spending time with our Father. Spending time in the quietness. That came up also, didn't it? 
Remember, somebody brought that about spending quality time with God, taking a step back. Well, that's what God's been speaking to me about. I went away with Ruth and others, Colin and others, to the impact. And one of the things God spoke to me was, was about stepping back from the busyness of life and being in that place where it was me and God. That's where we need to be. Because when we're in the place filled with life, everything's going on, we get exhausted, we get drained. But when we're here, meeting with the Father, meeting with the Holy Spirit, he fills us, he refreshes us, he gives us flowing rivers. That's what the Bible says. On top of that, you know, Jesus, look at his life. What did he do? Jesus went and spent time on his own with his Father. If Jesus needed to do it, we definitely need to do it. So it's really important when we're working with the poor, the marginalised and the lonely that we need to find a place where we get our refreshment. His refreshment is limitless. Our refreshment is limited. My point three is we're called to proclaim good news to the poor as Jesus did. So who are the poor? Who are these people that we're supposed to bring good news to? Well, some of them, I've put it into three categories. There's the materially poor. Those people who are on the minimum wage, those people who haven't got a job, those people who are on the streets, nowhere to live, those people who are struggling with mountain debts. They're the people who are materially poor. They're, they are the poor. But also the poor are the spiritually poor. The people who don't know Jesus. Those people who are chasing after the things of this world that do not satisfy they are also the poor. And the poor are also those on the fringes of our society, the isolated, the unloved, those people that society says are unimportant. Well, you know what? They're not unimportant in God's eyes. They are very important. In actual fact, God's bias, when you read the Bible, is towards the poor. He loves the poor. He even made laws for the poor so the poor wouldn't go hungry. He is so for the poor. And if he's for the poor, so should we be. So what is the good news that we should bring to the poor? What is this good news? Well, one thing, and this came up again earlier on. The other one thing, the other next thing that is good news for the poor is that God wants relationship with them. He loves them. You see, his eyes are turned towards them. When others are looking over there, God's eyes are on the poor. He wants relationship with them. He wants to know them to know him as Lord of Lords and King of Kings. And that is good news for the poor. He's paid their debts in Jesus. When they put their trust in him, their debts are completely paid. There's no more, there's no more counting for their lives because Jesus paid the price for their sins, their debts on the cross. That's good news to the poor. It's good news to us as well. He set the account straight for them. Another aspect of the good news for the poor is that the kingdom of God has come now. It's not something we're looking forward to solely for the future, although we are, but we get to have the kingdom and its benefits now. He loves us. He's for us. He will provide for our needs. He wants relationship with us. This is good news for the poor. And the church, we are called to bring good news to the poor. When David Cameron was in power a few years ago, he talked about big society. I don't know how many of you can remember that big society. Well, there was something about that big society that really got me here. 
You see, big society, what he was saying was the government couldn't do everything for all the people. They could do certain aspects, but when it comes to social justice, the needs of the people with mental health, people who are, on drug, who are drug addicted, there's so much they couldn't do. And what he was saying was that we want people, society, to take some responsibility for social justice. You know, what excited me is I realised, you know what, this is an incredible way in for the church. Meeting people at their, at their point of need. We are called to be those people. We are called to love people, to fill the gap that the government can't fill and actually get there and show God's love in a really practical way and to, bring, and to tell people about Jesus. So Project 41, is, its um, motto is to love people and see lives changed. And that is our heart. <clears throat> the church, church, you guys, us, we are called to fill the gap left behind. I want to tell you Michael's story. Now, the names I'm, I'm using are not real names to protect the people, but they are genuine, real stories written by them. So this is Michael's story. So this person, he came, when I first met him, he was Mr. Angry. He was really angry, actually. And I thought, oh, my word, this guy's um, you know, got some stuff he needs to work through. And when I, when, he, when I got chatting to him one day, he told me his story. You know what? I understand why he was Mr. Angry. He had not had a good life in that regard. But you know what? This, this chap, I was able to introduce him to our wonderful Connections people, Stuart and Carol and their team. And this chap, well, this is what he has to say. So he went to Connections. I came to Connections because I wanted to talk to people. He was lonely and isolated. I was on my own a lot and sometimes missed being with people. Connections is the highlight of my week. I love coming along. I feel valued and I've made new friends. I help out at connections that I feel appreciated and that's not always been the case for me for a long while. It's a fun place to come and I love laughing at Stuart's jokes. And so do I actually. <laughs> um, I, feel, I feel I belong when I come to connections. I feel accepted and able to be who I am. Now, this guy, Michael, we're calling him, he started, he's now part of our extended family. He's part of our community. And he feels he belongs. And this is a starting place for us to show him God's love. And it also gives us the opportunity to tell him about Jesus through relationship, which I think is key. It's really funny because the first time I met him, I was chatting to him. He goes, I can't stand Christians and I can't stand churches. And I said, you do realise you're currently sat in a church, don't you? <laughs> Am I? <laughs> he was shocked. <laughs> uh, but even if Michael does not come to know Jesus as his Lord and Saviour, we're still called to love our neighbours as ourselves. It's our number one calling, our number one concern. Many people we may not see come to know Jesus but that's not why we love them. We love them because God has built us on, the, on his image. It's his image that we are made and he's a God of love. And therefore we love them whatever. Whether they come to know the Lord or not, we love them. My point four. We're called to proclaim liberty to the captives and sight to the blind. So I want to tell you another story. This is the story of Harry. Harry has been an alcoholic since the age of eight Yes, you did hear me. Eight. He's now 50-something. And he's probably, I mean, to be fair, he looks like he's in his 60s. But he tells me he's in his 50s. This poor guy has been an alcoholic for that long. 
We've built relationship with him over at Centre 41. Occasionally he comes around. And one day he turned up, this is last year, substantial burns to his, both his hands. And he asked for prayer. Some of the team prayed with him. Two weeks later, he comes in, literally, I'm by the door, he comes and says, look at my hands, your God has healed me. That's phenomenal. And this is, I love this guy. I've got a real heart for this guy. He's, um, he's a guy now that we're able to give the gospel to. He's a guy now who's open to hear things because he trusts us. So building relationship, it all comes back to that at the end of the day. Building relationship and trust is really important. I'm going to tell you another story now. This is a story, I'm going to call this lady Alison. So Alison was agoraphobic. She's living near the church on the east site, stuck in a house. She wouldn't go anywhere. Occasionally, we would see her turn up and she would find it really difficult, panic attacks, really worried. So we don't hardly ever see her. But one particular time she came in, she was in a complete panic. Her life was in chaos. She explained that she hadn't been out of her house She'd got all these letters that she hadn't opened, bills, and now, of course, the time had come where people wanted her to pay money, and she was in complete meltdown. She was taken to one of the people that we work with in Centre 41. We work with um, BPHA, Bedford Pilgrims Housing Association, two social prescribers, um, um, one support, and we have our own help desk. This particular lady was taken to one support, and helped her. So I saw her at Christmas. She came to our Christmas meal. I said, how's, how's life treating you, Alison? And she says, life is incredible. Do you know what she said? I went on holiday to Cornwall for the first time in years I've got on a holiday. She said, all my bills, all my, my money is all sorted. My mental health is in a much better place. And you know what that was all about? It was about someone loving somebody enough to take them to where there was help available. That's all that was. That she knew that she could come, that it was a safe place to come. That the, the people that were going to be there would love her and not judge her. And all they did was take her hand and say, hey, chat to this person. That's all it was. We can all do that. The blind can also be the spiritually blind. And we're called to introduce people to the light of the world, and that's Jesus. That's our, also our calling. Really important. And we do that, we do that at Centre 41 through relationship, as I've said. Through grace, lots of grace, lots of loving, and then opportunities to tell people about Jesus. My point five is we're called to be full of grace. If you notice from the scripture I read out, one of the things it said was they noted that the words of Jesus, the words on his lips were full of grace. We see, we see grace in Jesus' life in so many stories. And there's a, the obvious one is the lady caught in adultery when the accusers bring this lady before Jesus and he basically says to them, let anyone who is without sin throw the first stone at her. And her accusers slowly disappear and go. And then he says to the lady, has anyone condemned you? And she says, no, sir. Then he replied, then neither do I condemn you. Go now and leave your life as sin. You see, Jesus was actually the only one who could have thrown that stone because he was the only one who was without sin. But he didn't, did he? He had grace for her and told her to leave. Go now and leave your life of sin. We are called not to judge anyone but to love them. The story of the Good Samaritan 
is another story where it talks about meeting people at their point of need and showing grace. Many of you will know the story. There's this route between Jerusalem and Jericho called the Way of Blood. And this traveller was going down this route. And somewhere along the path, he got attacked by robbers, which was unsurprising because it was called the Way of Blood because that's exactly what happened there. It was a really unsafe road. And he'd gone on this road with his donkey and all his possessions and the inevitable happened. He is attacked, left on the side of the road, very close to death. And along comes a, 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 a Samaritan. A Samaritan who is actually very... The Jews and Samaritans didn't get on, but he was the one who showed grace. The two religious people just walked by. But the Samaritan man met that guy at his point of need, showed compassion and love and mercy, took him to a hotel, paid for his medical care at a cost to himself. And that is a beautiful picture of God's grace. He didn't say, why have you walked down this route, you silly person? Or why have you taken drugs? Isn't that your fault? The situation that you're in is is brought about by yourself. No, he didn't do any of that. He just loved him at his point of need, took him by the hand and took him to a place where he needed, where he knew he could get help. I love that story. So what else can we learn from Jesus? How else did Jesus show compassion for the poor, the isolated and the needy? I'm going to go through these stories really quickly because of time. But Matthew 8, 1 to 4, Jesus heals the leper person who's separate from community living on his own with the leper community and Jesus meets with him prays for him and he's healed also the story of Zacchaeus it's actually my favorite story in the bible Zacchaeus there he is a tax collector hated by his own people isolated from his own people living with 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 sinners you know living a life of sin himself taking people's money illegally and he wants to see Jesus so what does he do he goes along he's a little guy he sees Jesus coming down the road with all the people who want to hear Jesus speak he climbs a sycamore tree looks down at Jesus and as Jesus passes he stops looks up says Zacchaeus come down here because I'm going to go for dinner with you today Well, imagine what the crowd's reaction was at. This this guy was hated, hated. And yet Jesus said, I'm going to come to your house today for dinner. That was a God, that's the God that we follow. Isn't he a beautiful God? And there's the two blind men on the road to Jericho who called out to Jesus for mercy. And Jesus healed them. The list goes on. The Bible is full of statements where it shows Jesus' grace and love for the poor, the marginalised, and the isolated. So, what does the New Testament say about this? I'm going to just touch on this again for time. But Galatians 2, the New Testament is recorded where Paul, Barnabas, and Titus meet with the Apostle Peter, James, and John's brother. And they talk about their different missions. Some mission is to the circumcised Jews. Some's mission is for the uncircumcised Gentiles. But you know what? One mission they all had together is that they all were called to remember the poor, the very thing that Paul was eager to do. See, right at the very beginning of the Christian faith, the poor were loved and cared for. And we read in Acts where the early Christians sold their property and gave it to the poor. See, at the very beginning of the Christian faith, the poor were loved. Given to the poor is part of being a follower of Jesus. And nothing has changed. 
So what does the Old, the Old Testament say? I'm just going to move on and just going to read one particular one. There are lots of things. But one I'm going to read... Is that still there? It's gone. One I'm going to read is one that's quoted, misquoted so many times. And it's where it says, there will always be the poor in the land. And the, what people, the impression you get is, well, there's always poor people, so what's the point in bothering? That kind of attitude. I, 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 know, I know that because I've been working with the poor, and sometimes there is that, that is a belief that people have. But I want to give you the full scripture. And it's from Deuteronomy 15 and 11. And this is what it says. For they will never cease to be poor in the land. Therefore, I command you, you shall open wide your hand to your brother, to the needy and to the poor in your land. So it's actually a commandment. Point seven. Practical working out for you guys, Westside, and for us as Christians. So the same DNA. We have the same DNA over here, east site, west site, one church, same DNA. Serve and reflect our community. Serve our community. To love our community. It's part of who we are as a church. But not only as part of who we are as a church, but part of who we are as Christians. We've just looked at that, haven't we? Actually, the Bible is full of our DNA and to love the isolated, the poor, the marginalised. Connections. Our wonderful team, in fact, on the back, the back almost, yes, the whole team are there on the back there. I was starting a Connections, Stuart, you know, Tom, Andrea and Carol, they're going to be starting a Connections over here. Connections is a fantastic work. It's going to be going on at East Site now for a few years. It's a, connecting seniors with other seniors. Where when people become older, they can get more and more isolated. And those guys are going to be starting something here in March. I'm excited for that because I know that's going to grow. And that's your, you guys' first step into loving people and meeting the marginalised and all that. So I'm really excited. Another thing that's going to be happening soon is we're going to be starting a befriending service, which is a Bedford-wide befriending service. We're currently advertising for a person to lead that area. But this is going to be going out of the church, out of the building, and meeting with people who are isolated and marginalised in their own hopes. So it's come out of a vision that we've had as a team um, where we saw literally people, a guy at his front of his house looking out of his window, just watching life go by and a real sense of, that's just not right. Actually, we need to connect with people who are isolated. So we're going to be starting a befriending service in April, April the 1st. But it's also about all of us, every one of us comes into contact, rubs shoulders with people who are isolated, marginalised and poor. And we're called to love them in whatever way that we can. One way is that we can resource work that's already being done for the poor. Another way is we can get involved in serving the poor and giving opportunities. And I'm going to finish on this one. This is a personal story to me. I was in a boarding school when I was young. My parents... Um, it split up and I ended up in a boarding school. Um, I was useless at maths. I mean useless at maths. I had dyslexia, so I couldn't read or write very well. And yet, when I came to 16 years old, it was time for me to leave school. And um, I didn't know what I was going to do. And one of, my, one of my relatives told me that Nat West Bank had a really good football team. I loved football, so I thought, I'm going to be a banker. <laughs> so, so I joined the bank. I was only about five foot two, when I could hardly see over the counter, but hey-ho. 
And anyway, I joined the bank. Now, the point, the, the, the point of this is, when I joined the bank, because this guy had provided an opportunity for me, because the guy, oh, I didn't explain, actually. The guy was an old boy for the school. He'd been invited to the school to talk to people who were about to leave the school and talk about careers. And he was a bank manager of Cavendish Square branch in London. And he was in, I was introduced to him, and someone said, that this guy wants to join a bank. He made it possible for me to join the bank. So he basically got me a job. He gave me the opportunity. Opportunity I didn't deserve. I was useless at maths, dyslexic. Just gave me an opportunity because he was in a position to do that. I became, started work for the bank. Because I did okay with the bank, I then applied and became an RAF policeman because I knew I was honest. So that gave me that opportunity. And that opportunity gave me the opportunity to become a Met Police officer. So that opportunity actually set up my life. So my question is, is there, are there people here can give opportunity to people who are poor, vulnerable, or isolated. Now, Apex guys, Andrea Mohan, these guys are amazing. I can't see Andrea, she's here somewhere, is she? Yeah, she's in the church. Oh, there she is. <laughs> these guys are amazing because that's exactly what they have done. Historically, they have given people opportunities. There may be others here this morning. It doesn't mean you've got to be the employer, you could recommend someone. You know what I mean? And it breaks that cycle. Going back to my talk about that cycle of poverty when I went into the Phippsbridge estate, they're the ways that these cycles are broken. People are given opportunities that they wouldn't otherwise get. So, in summary, we are called to love the Lord our God with all our hearts, with all our soul, with all our mind, with all our strength, and to love our neighbours as ourselves. Our neighbours include the poor and the marginalised and the isolated Putting God first in our lives includes looking after those who are on the fringes of our society. I'm just going to pray now. So Father in heaven, I thank you that you are an amazing God, that you are trustworthy, you are holy, you are the God that we follow. And we give you ourselves and we give you all of ourselves. We give you our careers, our money, our time, our relationships. We give you all of us to you and just say use us as you will as you want to father so lord i just pray that you would implant stuff into people's hearts today by your holy spirit i pray that at least something might resonate from this talk today that people will go away with something something that makes a change in their life a positive change which makes us more like your son jesus and his heart for the lost for the poor for the marginalized and the isolated and i pray this in jesus name Amen. 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 You've been listening to a Woodside Church podcast. For more information, visit woodsidechurch.com.